We are going to be in the book of 2 Timothy this morning. If you have your Bible, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue one that looks like this somewhere close to you. And we're on page 996, I believe. 995. If you haven't been here since I was here, uh, a little-known fact, my primary job on the elder board was to be a thorn in Johnny's side. Um, yeah. Just to keep him humble, um, this was my, my job. And, and I got to say, I really enjoyed that job. You know, I, it, and I was pretty good at it, I have to say. I came up this morning from down near Detroit, we were staying with Sue Kevern, and, and I have to say, y'all, the roads have not got any better since I left two and a half years ago. Like, they are the same. No, they're probably worse. And I, also, I almost hit a deer, like feet from smoking a deer at 70 miles an hour, and I'm thinking to myself, yep, I'm in Michigan, crummy roads and deer everywhere. So you guys that are deer hunter, thank you for limiting the number of deer out there for me. I appreciate it. Johnny called me at the uh, start of December just talking about what had happened and the transition and the difficulties and all those things. And at the end of the conversation, I told him, hey, Johnny, you know, anything I can do from here to help you guys out, I'm totally happy to do it because I know it's going to be tough and hung up. And apparently Johnny did not hear the from here part of that statement because he calls up a couple weeks later and he, and he goes, hey, I thought of a great idea. Why don't you come up here for a week in January and you can preach twice? And I'm like, okay, I've lived in Michigan 30 years. In January? Are you crazy? Do I want to do this? No, seriously, he asked, and uh, as it so happened, as God's providence would have it, I had a week of vacation, and we were really excited. We're like, yeah, we'd love to do that, um, to connect with you guys again. So it's our joy to be here. Let's uh, open up in prayer. Father, we come to your word um, in humility, recognizing that to grasp it is beyond our capability without the illumination of the Holy Spirit. So we claim your promise in your word that your word will not go out empty without returning, without accomplishing the purpose that you sent it out. We claim that this morning as we open up this book. In Jesus' name, amen. On September 18, 2007, Randy Pausch, who was at the time a professor at Carnegie Mellon University, stepped up to the podium and began a lecture in a series that was called Last Lecture. His particular lecture in that series became famous and if you go to YouTube and search for last lecture, it will pop right up. It has 20 million views. And the purpose of a last lecture was they said, 
What if you knew that your lecture, that was going to be the last one you ever gave? What would you say? And they said, take that topic and say whatever you want. Now, for Randy, this was not a theoretical exercise because when he got up to speak, he had incurable pancreatic cancer and the doctors had given him less than a year to live. And his lecture is worth watching. He is funny. He is wise. He has a lot of kind of life points that he learned. His topic is how I achieve my childhood dreams. And it's quite engaging. It's so engaging, they ended up writing a book on it, and he became quite famous. And I have to say, as I watched through it, I said, this guy's really facing death with a lot of courage, a lot of stalwart courage. But when I finished it, it left me a little sad. And the reason it left me a little sad is because as far as I knew or Randy told, he was not a believer in Christ. He had no commitment to or belief in anything beyond this life. And as I finished it, I, I said, you know, yes, you, Randy, achieved your, your childhood dreams, but what hope does that give to your wife? And I'm sure it wasn't her childhood dream to get married and lose her husband in middle age, or to the kids that he left behind. What hope is there for them in light of your passing? And there really was none. It, to all appearances, this life was all he had. He achieved childhood dreams. He learned a lot of wisdom, a lot of good wisdom, but ultimately there was no hope there. And the reason I tell you that is because we're coming to what is essentially Paul the Apostle's last lecture. It's the last letter we have of his that he preaches. And he knows it's his last letter. And if you know this is the last time I'm going to talk to, in this case, Timothy, one of his, uh, the people that he mentored, I'm just going to give them the important stuff. I'm not putting in the extraneous stuff. I'm not talking about going out and getting coffee next time you're in Rome. I'm only talking about what's absolutely important. So we should pay attention to what he says. Before we get into it, let me give you a little background. So we know from Acts 16 how Paul and Timothy came together for ministry. In verses 1 through 3, it says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. This was on his second missionary journey. He'd been there on his first as well. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So they meet a second missionary journey. They appoint Timothy to be a helper to Paul, and he begins to travel 
We know that in six of Paul's letter, Timothy is with him. And we also know that Paul sent Timothy off to different places that needed help. And we think they worked closely together for almost two decades, almost 20 years. So this was a really tight, close relationship. So we have Paul. He's in prison when he writes this. Church tradition says he was in Mamertine prison in Rome. And that was Rome's prison for political prisoners awaiting execution. And we're going to see shortly that Paul himself was awaiting execution. So here's Paul sitting in a, in a jail cell, realizing he has not much time, and he sits down to write the second letter he wrote to Timothy. And he's only going to write what's important. Only what's important. And the purpose of the letter, the purpose of the whole letter is he encourages Timothy to stand firm in the faith and persevere in communicating the gospel. And that makes sense, right? So Paul's saying the, the most important thing is the gospel. So stand firm as you go and proclaim it even when I'm gone. Persevere in preaching, proclaiming, working at it. That's his overarching purpose to Timothy. And we're going to divide the first seven verses up into three ways. First, he has a extraordinary greeting to Timothy. Then he has a warm note about Timothy's faith. And finally, he has a careful admonition that he gives to Timothy. And that's really the central part of the first section of Timothy. So the extraordinary greeting. Verse in, in Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you know anything about Paul's letters, that sounds a lot like his other letters. He'll start off, Paul and whoever's with them, to the church in Philippi, or whoever he's writing to, grace, mercy, peace, and then he goes on to his letter. So at first glance, you're like, okay, you know, kind of the standard greeting, and on to the important stuff. Why do I say the greeting's extraordinary? Well, I would say two reasons. One is in the first line, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, why is that extraordinary? Because he literally says almost that exact same thing in every letter. It's extraordinary because who he's writing to. So by the time he wrote this, they had worked together, like I said, for probably two decades. Timothy had heard Paul preach. Timothy knew Paul's theology. He knew that Paul was an apostle. And so Paul starts out, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. It would be something like, in this past week, Johnny and I were emailing back and forth, coordinating things. It would be something like me saying, John Murphy, a former elder at Graham, from John Murphy, former elder at Graham, to Johnny Schlack, a current elder at Graham. If I wrote it that way, here's what, here's what Johnny would say. I know this with certainty. He would say, Murph, 
we spent 15 years together on the board. I know you're a former board member. Why are you being redundant? That's what he said. And he would have been right. I've been like, yeah, that was dumb, wasn't it? Because he knows me. Like, I don't have to tell him who I am. He knows me. Why does Paul have to tell Timothy he's an apostle of Christ Jesus? Timothy knows. Well, I suggest to you there's only really one possible reason, and that is this letter, yes, it's written to Timothy, but it's meant to be read and studied far beyond Timothy. And we're going to see more evidence of that shortly. So yes, Paul's writing to Timothy, but along with all the rest of his letters, they're copied, they're read, they're passed on, and studied by, by the, the whole church. Then the second reason it's extraordinary greeting is in the very next line he says, um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, why is that extraordinary? Well, it's extraordinary because he's expecting to die shortly. We know that from chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, he writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So yeah, Paul's saying, I'm going to die shortly. I know it. And yet he's talking about the promise of life in Christ Jesus. So clearly, it's not physical life that he's talking about, right? He knows he's going to die, but there's still life ahead. And so you see from the very first sentence in this letter that Paul has this hope that goes beyond this life. There's something else coming along, and Paul is part of it, and not only Paul, but Timothy is part of it, and not only Timothy, but everyone else who loves Christ appearing is part of it. So you see this hope. My, my, my physical life is coming to an end, but my spiritual life will continue. Where Randy Pausch has stalwart courage in his last lecture, the difference is Paul had not only stalwart courage, but also stalwart hope in Christ. And that is significant. So that's an extraordinary greeting. Then he goes on to a warm note in verses 5, 3 through 5. He says, I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So this is probably, of all Paul's writing, it's probably the most intimate, warm 
writing he ever does. And that makes sense because this is probably his closest ministry partner. So it makes sense that, hey, like, I remember your tears when we parted. I long to see you. I pray for you constantly. That's somebody you have, when you say that, that's somebody you have a close relationship with, right? It's just not strangers. (coughs) You could say it on TikTok, but no one really will care. But if you say it here, they will, because they know we have this personal relationship. So a couple of things there in in that greeting stand out to me. One is, notice how Timothy came to faith. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So somehow the faith started in his grandmother Lois, went to his mother Eunice, and then ended up with him. Now, we know it wasn't due to the fact that he came to faith through his genealogy. Because his grandmother was a Christian, his mother became a Christian. Because his mother became a Christian, therefore Timothy became a Christian. No, that's not how it was. Like We don't say, hey, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, my mom's a Christian, therefore I'm a Christian. Uh, No, that's not how it works. And we know that because that goes against everything Paul said. So somehow... We think in the first missionary journey, they hear the gospel, they're ready for it. Grandma comes to faith, she starts talking about it. Mom comes to faith, they start talking about it to Timothy, and Timothy comes to faith. Now, how were they so ready to receive the gospel? We know from what Paul says further in this letter. If we go to chapter 3 verse 14 Paul says to Timothy but as for you Timothy continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus so Paul says you were prepared to hear the gospel And you were prepared to hear the gospel because of something here in your childhood. And what that something was is what he calls the sacred writings. And we know what he's referring to. What that meant was, the only scripture at that time was what we would call the Old Testament. That was the sacred writings. And we also know that this was an oral culture. Like you couldn't pull out your iPad, say, hey, Timothy, I'm going to read the Old Testament to you. Sit down. Let me read it to you. They didn't have iPads. They didn't have books. What writing was done was in scrolls. Where scrolls were were where the scholars were, probably at the local synagogue. So you had to learn the scriptures through your parents. So here's Timothy going through his life and mom or grandma has taught mom about the scriptures so grandma and mom they start talking to timothy about the scriptures they're telling about how 
God created the earth. They're talking about the patriarch Abraham and the promises God made to him. They're talking about King David, how he was a man after God's own heart. They're talking about the Psalms. They're quoting them. They're getting Timothy to memorize them. So he has all of this knowledge of Scripture. And Paul says, that's the preparation for you to come to faith. So when Paul rolls in, we think on his first missionary journey, and he says, you know the Messiah in the in the Old Testament, in the sacred writings, he came, his name was Jesus. I'm here to tell you about him. And boom, they come to faith one after the other. Well, the lesson there is pretty clear, and that is mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, saturate your kids in the scriptures. If you want them to follow Christ, saturate your kids in the scriptures because those are what make them wise to salvation. When I was a kid, my, from my very earliest memory, there was, I had nine siblings, so there's ten of us. From my very earliest memory, we'd go downstairs and my mom and dad would have their Bibles open, they'd be reading they would pray, then they would get all 10 of us, and my dad would read a passage of scripture. We might talk about it, we prayed, and then we went on with the day. And the next day, we did the same thing. And the next day, the same thing. The next year, the same thing. We were saturated in scripture. But never in all that time, and that continued through my childhood into my adults till my dad passed away in 2015. I'd go back and see him. Same thing, my mom and him were up in Scripture. Just that was their life. And never in all that time do I remember them saying, you need to get in your Bible like we do. I don't ever remember them saying that one time. But they modeled it day after day, week after week, year after year. And it paid off. It paid off. We understood the importance of Scripture. So mom, dad, grandma, grandpa. Man, if you're a grandma or grandpa, it's a, you know, it's free, right? Hey, kids, let's talk about Jesus. Let me read some Scripture to you. Let's talk about the promises he, he made to us. Saturate your kids with Scriptures. Then he goes to uh, Timothy's, what he calls his sincere faith. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Now, the word sincere means unfeigned or genuine or real. And clearly, Paul is saying there is, it's important to have genuine faith. Now, why does he start off this letter? Remember, this is his last letter. Why does he start off with faith? I think he did because faith is the foundation for everything that follows. Later on in this verse, as a matter of fact, next week, we're going to hear him say, hey, uh, Timothy, here's the good news. Suffer uh, for the gospel alongside of me. And then later on, he's going to tell him, hey, listen, make disciples that will make other disciples. And then later on, he's going to say, listen, preach the gospel and no matter what society does to you, what pressure it puts on you, preach the gospel. 
Now, are you going to sustain that if your faith is fake? No, you're not. You're going to go through about one suffering and be like, I'm done with this. It is not worth it. The only way you can sustain what Paul will tell Timothy later on is if your faith is real. And of course, the question that comes right down to us from that, from that statement is, is your faith genuine? Is your faith genuine? We know that Timothy's faith was genuine. But is your faith genuine? Then Paul goes from that to really the central point of this first passage and that is this admonition that he gives them in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So he's saying, Paul, you received a gift when I laid my hands on you, fan, or not, Tim, not Paul, Timothy, you received a gift when I laid my hands on you, fan it into flames. Now, what, what's he talking about? Like, what gift is he talking about? I think we know from his first letter to Timothy, chapter 4 and verse 14, he says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So here's Timothy called to ministry. The elders, where he was, along with Paul, they lay their hands on him and he receives a gift. So we have to say, okay, that's a spiritual gift. It's a gift for you to minister to the church. So for Timothy, what did that mean? I'm guessing that meant leadership, preaching, teaching, those kind of things, because that's what we find him doing. So I think that's the gift that he received. Paul says, listen, fan that into flames. Now, we shouldn't think that what Paul meant was, you had this gift we, that you received when we laid our hands on you, and you squandered it, and now it's barely burning, so get it burning again. Now that could be, that could happen, but we don't think that was Timothy because if that was, he wouldn't be doing all the things that he was doing in ministry. What we think Paul meant was keep fanning it into flames. You have this gift, you're using it, keep fanning it into flames so it doesn't die out. Those of you with wood burning stoves know what I'm talking about, right? Throw wood in there, go away, don't throw any more wood, come home. What's going to happen? Your house is going to be freezing cold because the fire went out. Deer camp, hey, throw, throw wood on the fire. All right, let's go hunt deer. Come back, no wood, the fire's lower out. You have to keep stoking the fire for it to stay burning. And that's what Paul's saying. Keep stoking the fire. 
But there's a little bit of tension in Scripture here when we, we hear that. And I know that because Paul created the tension himself in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He's writing to the church in Philippi. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. All right, God, work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Cool. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, now I'm confused. You just told me to work out my salvation within me. Then you immediately told me it was God that was working within me. How does that work, Paul? Is it 50-50? I do my part, God does his part. 60-40, How does that work itself out? So if Paul were here today and we said, Paul, we do not understand what you meant by that. Who's doing the work? Is it me or is it God? Here's what Paul's answer would be. Yes, it is. That's what his answer would be. Yes, it is. And we'd be like, come on! Tell us how it works. And he'd be like, yes, it is. So how does that work? How does it work that I fan into flames my gift and yet God within me fans this gift into flame What do I do? What does God do? I don't know. But I do know this. Whatever you do for Christ, whatever you do with your spiritual gifting, if the Holy Spirit is not in it, it's worthless. I do know that. Then he gives the, the how, how do we work that out? Or what do we do as we are working that out? What does Timothy do as he's working out this gift of God within him? And he says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. So as you work, Timothy, to fan this gift of God into flame, to keep it burning, you do it with God's power. You do it with the love we know God has through Christ. And you do it in a sound mind slash manner. In other words, you do it according to the truth. Our inclination here is because we are workers. Like We're, we're like, okay, I got the instructions. I'm going to work for the Lord. This is going to be awesome. We, we go, okay, what do I do now? Uh, let's see, I, I, my gift service. I'm going to be here every time the church opens and serve, and it's going to be awesome. I'm fanning my gift into flames. And that's not what Paul meant. That's our inclination to go, all right, man, finally, something I can grab onto, check off. Look at all these times I've served. I'm using my gift. That's not the philosophy that we want to have. We aren't workers checking off boxes so that God will be happy with us. It's not what he wants. 
in regards to love, as I work out my gifting, as Timothy worked out his gifting, one commentator said this, Here the thought is not that this love works a thousand good works, but that it faces and conquers the world's hostility with its power. It burns on and on. It sees all the sin and woe, and its one purpose is that of Jesus to seek and to save. As I use my gifting, my one purpose, whatever my gift is, is to seek out and to save the lost, to see that happen. Now, God doesn't call us all to be preachers, teachers, evangelists. He calls us to be people that do acts of mercy. He calls us to people that serve. He calls us to be administrators. If, if all our church was just all teachers, it would be disaster, right? You know, he'd be like, well, nobody unlocked the church today, and it's freezing because nobody turned the heat on. So where you park at a church, and we'll all preach to each other. Really, probably the preaching would be pretty good. Um, but we'd lack a lot of other things, right? Like, it would not work out too well. What, what Paul is calling Timothy, and by application us, is to this service that takes my gifting through the power of the Holy Spirit and lights it up, and it burns and it won't go out. Why? Because of my efforts? No, because the Holy Spirit's behind it, making it burn. And he's the one that takes my gifting and makes it useful in the kingdom. And this is what happens when we as Graham Church do that. You take your gifting that God has given you, and that burns in you, and you serve the church. And I take my gifting, and that burns in me, and I serve the church. And all of a sudden, there's all these fires going in the church. And what happens? People begin to notice. The world goes, you know, those people at Graham really love each other well. And you know what? They also love their community well. Why is that? Why is it that you guys love each other so well? And that gives us the opening to say, you know, I'm glad you asked because we have an answer for you. And certainly the answer is well handled in this hymn, which I'm sure if Paul was here, he would sing. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone. Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our souls to him belong? Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. When our gifting is fanned into flame and the church becomes fanned into flame because of our gifting, then the world will see that there is one hope. There's one hope, and that is Christ. Christ is our only hope. There's no other hope. 
And as we work together and love each other, the world's going to see that. Let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter to Timothy that so well reflects our own experience of the faith, so calls us to faithfulness. We pray that as we, we pray that your Holy Spirit would put inside us to make us pursue our gifting so that we can be of service to you. Not because through our service we make ourselves acceptable to you, but because of who we are in Christ. And we know that the Holy Spirit will take our effort and fire it up for the sake of Christ. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.